In this new year as a church, we are trying to begin by putting the right foot forward. You know, often it's how you begin something that really determines how it's going to turn out. It, it's essential that you start out heading in the right direction so that you arrive at your destination. And now you might be like Emily this morning. You might feel like you're ready for a, a new beginning, a fresh start. You might have that backpack slung up and you've got determination in your eyes and you're ready for something new in your faith journey, but you're not really sure where exactly that's going to end up. Where's that going to take you? You certainly know what's in your past, though. You know what you want to leave behind. Now, as a church, 2023 was a really good year for us. God did some incredible things here. 2023 was a year in which we focused a lot about a lot on what Jesus is calling us to do. And so we began the, the beginning of the year by reading through the Gospels and seeing all the times when Jesus calls us to do things, to go out and do. And then in the summer, we picked up our shop tools and we talked about these spiritual disciplines. Again, things that the people of God do. And then we looked in, later on in the summer and we looked at the Ten Commandments and we talked about what the people of God do not do. The problem with all of those do's and those do nots is that it's easy to get wrapped up in all of that and to miss the purpose of faith and to find ourselves going through the motions of faith rather than to be the people of faith. So that was our past and there was a lot of good again in 2023, but just like Emily, we're ready for something new, something that is a new beginning, a fresh start, a re-examination of just what it means to be a disciple and that's why we're talking about here as a church, what's next for us? And you'll hear Wally challenge us a little bit more this morning with what's next and, and committing to that. Our idea of, of being a disciple really involves relationship. It involves seeking God's presence. And so that's what we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks. You know, when it comes to your relationship with God, communication is essential, Think about it this way. When you arrive home after work or school and you see your roommate or your spouse or your kids, what's one of the first things that you do? You say, how was your day? And then if it's a kid, maybe they say nothing and they grunt at you. But if it's a spouse or a roommate, they, they say something nice and they tell you about their day and where they went and what they did and who they interacted with. And chances are you have not been to all of these places where these people Uh, have been, and you don't necessarily know all the names that they bring up, but you pay attention, and and over the course of weeks or months, you kind of, you know, you you note the story arcs and the recurring characters, and it's not so much because you care all that much about Kevin, who sits in the next cubicle over from your spouse and his terrible choices in music, and it's not so much that you identify with fifth grade chaos dodgeball, but it's because you care about your person. And you want to hear from them. You want to talk to them. And so you say, how was your day? And then relationship begins to flourish. To some extent, that's what our faith should be like. This ongoing conversation with God that seeks to talk to him and then to hear from him. And so we do just that. We talk to him. And Christians call this talking to God. We call this prayer. It's a practice that followers of Jesus have been doing for generations for as long as as we've been part of the people of God. It's essential, it's a common practice, but prayer, in my opinion, has a couple different areas in which it breaks down. 
One of those prayer is, is that prayer can just become a going through the motions, a meaningless repetition of words at specific times in the day. Maybe you sit down and you pray with your family at lunch and you say the same words in the same way that you've been saying them for years. And there's no thought. You're not giving your attention to God. The other way that prayer can break down is, is when we treat it only as an emergency service line. We go about our lives, we don't really pay attention to God, and then all of a sudden some crisis happens and we pick up the phone and we say, God, please help. In those moments, though, we're not really seeking God's presence, we're just seeking a way out of our predicament. And those two things, attention, giving God our attention and seeking his presence, those are what we've been talking about as we've begun this year, 2024. And I believe that we can give God our full attention in prayer and we can seek God's presence in prayer through the mundane and through the crises, but it involves this this investing in relationship. And so this morning we're going to talk about just what that means. I believe that prayer is about relationship. And I think that the best example that we can find of prayer being about relationship is found in the example of Jesus. So turn with me to Luke chapter 22 this morning. We're going to look at a, a moment when Jesus prayed an intense prayer to his father. Luke 22. We're starting in verse 39. Then, accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went, as usual, to the Mount of Olives. And there he told them, pray that you will not give in to temptation. He walked away about a stone's throw and he knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him, and he prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. At last he stood up again and returned to the disciples, only to find them asleep, exhausted from grief. Why are you sleeping? he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. So it's a night on which Jesus is going to be betrayed. He's just spent the evening with his disciples sharing the Passover meal together and, and now they've gone out to the garden and, and he's praying. And Jesus knows what's, what's ahead of him. He knows that he's going to be arrested, mocked, tried, beaten, crucified. He's anticipating all of that in the worst possible way. And, and knowing all of that, it's understandable that he feels a need to cry out to God. Right? God, I'm in this crisis, and I need your help. And so he does, and he, he cries out to his father and says, says, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And so Jesus, he heads out to the, the Mount of Olives, and he, he prays this prayer with his disciples there. But there's something, something specific that he's doing here, and, and I don't know if you picked up on this or not, but verse 39 Then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went, as usual, to the Mount of Olives. Did you catch that? He went, as usual, to the Mount of Olives, a place at which he would go to prayer, to pray. And yes, Jesus was was facing this impossible situation, and yeah, he was in this moment of crisis, and yeah, he was crying out to God, but this wasn't the first time he picked up the phone. Jesus had been here as usual. It was part of his regular routine, his practice. And Luke notes that here. He says, as usual. Now, if that's the case, if Luke's saying this is as usual, then 
Well, certainly we should see other instances of Jesus praying in this gospel, and lo and behold, we do. Turn with me back a few pages to chapter 4 of Luke. Chapter 4 of Luke, Luke 4, verse 42. Early the next morning, Jesus went out to an isolated place. The crowds searched everywhere for him, and when they finally found him, they begged him not to leave them. But he replied, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too, because that is why I was sent. And so he continued to travel around preaching in synagogues throughout Judea. So this is shortly after Jesus is just beginning his earthly ministry. He's been baptized, he's been tempted out in the desert, and now he's, he's walking around and, and crowds are starting to take notice. People are starting to pay, take notice, and, and so then these people turn into crowds and and there's a bit of hype and a bit of excitement, and it would have been really easy for Jesus to get carried away by all of this commotion and activity and enthusiasm. And yet instead of that, Jesus goes where? He goes out to an isolated place. And then the crowds are left searching for him. And, you know, he says, I'm headed off to go preach in other towns as well. But I have to believe that as Jesus went out to this isolated place, place, he is beginning this habit of going out, stepping out of the busyness and the hustle and the bustle and the excitement and stepping into his relationship with God. And that makes me wonder about the times when you and I reach out to God. Because Jesus reached out to God over and over again in Luke, and we're going to see that more often or a few more times ahead of us. Jesus reached out over and over again when things are good, when things are bad. He was in this routine. But for you and me, I don't know, I think sometimes our habit is to reach out to God when things are, are difficult. If you're anything like me, it's when uh, the kids are good and the house is good and the cars are good and everybody's healthy and we're on vacation or we're on holiday that I forget to talk to God. When things are too good for me, it's too easy to put God on indefinite hold and think about getting back to him later. On the opposite hand, it seems like it's way easier to pray when I'm experiencing a crisis, when something's blowing up, when I recognize my glaring insufficiency and know that I need God's presence in my life. Jesus' pattern was very different, though. Continuing on here, uh, flip over a page to, to Luke Chapter 5, verse 15. But despite Jesus' instructions, the report of his power spread even faster, and vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Again, we've got this situation here where things seem to be going really well for Jesus. And there's all this excitement surrounding him. Instead of seeking that validation, Jesus seeks the wilderness. He seeks God's presence. He goes out and prays to God and builds this relationship with him. And you see this again and again in the Gospel of Luke. Luke 6, verse 12. One day, soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples, and he chose 12 of them to be apostles, and here are their names. So Jesus is getting ready to, to set apart 12 of his followers as apostles, as people he's sending out, and what does he do? He goes up on a mountain, and he prays, well, he prays all night, all night. I read that, and I think, okay, that was a Jesus thing. Is that really something that we can do, pray all night? I mean, I, I don't know about you, but... 
It's not my habit very often to pray all night. Maybe, maybe you're more spiritual than I am. But I was thinking about this and I was remembering that when my friends come over, especially the ones that I haven't seen for a long time, it's not unusual for us to stay up way too late. Anybody do that around the holidays? Get together with family or friends and you stayed up beyond a reasonable hour and the next day was totally ruined. Yeah, I've been there. You've been there. When, you want, when, you, when you're spending time with someone you love, someone you have a deep connection to, a deep relationship with, it's not a problem to talk with them and talk to them for hours and hours and hours on end, and that's what Jesus was doing here. Chapter 9, we've got another example of Jesus praying. Chapter 9, verse 18. One day, Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. Only his disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do people say I am? So Jesus leaves the crowds, his disciples go along with him, but it's just him and them, and and he goes up there to pray. Luke 11, chapter 11, verse 1. We've got this again. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying. As he finished, one of his disciples came up to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Over and over and over again, you see this pattern. Jesus leaves the crowds. He seeks silence, solitude. He seeks a place where he can give his attention to God and grow that relationship. Over and over again, Jesus found those times to pray and to be in God's presence. And I I wonder this morning if you and I, if our need to talk to God ever comes close to the level that, that Jesus exhibited here. I wonder if we ever feel that depth of relational need, that desperation, that desire to be in God's presence. Or if instead we just treat prayer like it's another thing to check off the list, part of our workout regimen or our, our routine to, to better ourselves in some way. Jesus certainly understood what prayer was about. It was about relationship. And he spent time with his heavenly father seeking that relationship, this conversation, giving his attention to God and seeking God's presence. And I, I really think that if, if we, as the people of God, are going to, to have a fresh start in our faith this year, then, then it really begins with prayer. It begins with this connection with God, this seeking God's presence in this ongoing relational conversation. Now, in my personal life, I have designated the third Thursday of, of every November as International Jeff Day. It's a holiday. You may not have heard of it. International Jeff Day involves me going down and hanging out with my friend Jeff. We've been friends for 20 years at this point, and uh, so I go down to Battle Creek, and we drive around and do weird things. He's got a fixation with the city limits of Battle Creek. It's the biggest, the second biggest city in Michigan by land area. It's it's bizarre. And so we drive out to find some city limit sign in the middle of nowhere and take pictures of it. And that's the thing that we do, International Jeff Day. The thing about my friendship with Jeff is we were super close a long time ago. 20 years ago, we were young adults. We built this relationship by being in each other's space all the time. We were roommates at Great Lakes Christian College, and then he was the best man in my wedding, and I was the best man in his. But over time, you know, distance and life and occupations kind of drive a wedge there. It just not intentionally, but you drift apart. And, and so even though Jeff and I have spent a lot of time on Xbox Live together, and even though he's in the top list of my maybe top five people I've talked to on Facebook Messenger, it, it's still 
It's important for us to get together and to spend quality time together. And so I schedule this every year. I go see Jeff and I schedule it. And it's not an obligation. It's something that's in my calendar, something I look forward to, and it's a joy to be there. I believe that prayer should be like that. Not a chore, not a checkbox, not an obligation, something we feel like we have to do, but something we look forward to and something that's, that's founded in relationship. And so how did Jesus do that? Well, I think in a couple ways. The, the Gospel of Luke shows us a few different ways in which Jesus found time to focus on God and seek that relationship in his prayers. First, Jesus made time for prayer. He didn't find time. It didn't just happen to him. He made time. Even during the heights of excitement, the moments where there could have been distractions by another person to heal, another disciple to talk to, he could have, been, he could have easily been carried away by all of that, and yet he, he intentionally chose to stop, to pause, step out and seek God. Have you been making time for God? Have you been making time for God? And there's always another task list, another, I don't know, another fire to put out, something else that's commanding your attention. Those of, of us in the room with school-age kids, we know how this is. It's like you're the school transportation authority and the chef for your kids and their clothing designer and uh, their, you know, I don't know, their homework help as well. Like you're always on the go from thing to thing. But it's no different for anybody else. Working professionals, a teenager, someone who's retired. It's so easy to let the moments of each day just slip through your fingers. And before you know it, it's been a while since you've talked to God. Jesus made time for prayer. It could have easily been the same way for Jesus. Because he was not just building a ministry. He wasn't just building a movement. He was establishing God's kingdom here on earth. And there was so much for him to do. So little time for him to do it especially because he knew that in just a couple years he would have to hand off this kingdom to his followers and then they would be in charge of, of sharing the gospel around the world and continuing to, to make these kingdom outposts, these churches. And, and so there was a very finite amount of time in which Jesus had to, to prepare his followers. You know, he could have let time get away from him, doing good things, preaching more, debating with the Pharisees more healing the sick, investing in his followers, and yet Jesus paused and made time for prayer. I think you and I need to make time for prayer. So whether that's an alarm that goes off every day at 8.30 and reminds you, or that's a sticky note in your office at work or in your cubicle, or you know, maybe it's on the weekends that you get away with a Bible and journal and spend some time seeking God's presence. How are you making time for prayer? So that's the first one. Jesus made time for prayer. He intentionally stepped into it. Secondly, Jesus removed himself from distractions. Notice how Scripture describes these moments when Jesus goes to pray. He, he slips away from the crowds, gets away even from his disciples. His disciples are trying to find him and they can't sometimes. He's removed himself from these distractions so he can get out and focus on God. Now, have you ever had this happen to you? You sit down to read your Bible and, and pray and suddenly a notification pops up. 
something happens, it distracts you, you see your phone, you pick it up, and oh, speaking of which, sorry guys, I got to take this call. <laughs> hey, Justin, how's it going, man? Yeah, I see you back there. I, you know, I'm kind of here with 300 of my closest friends and preaching a sermon. It's not a good time. Well, I will. We'll talk about the, the advantages of listening to Sufyan later on, okay? All right. Christmas unicorn. All right, catch you later. Has that ever happened to you? You sit down to focus and pray, and then suddenly your phone buzzes, and 20 minutes later, oh, where'd the time go? I don't have time anymore. Maybe it's not your phone. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your animals. Maybe it's your neighbor. It seems like when I sit down to focus on God, it's like the entire world is conspiring against me. And it, it, it happens too often to, to be a coincidence. You know, Jesus didn't have kids. He didn't have a phone. But life could have been just as distracting for him. A disciple with a question, a sick person that needed his help, a Pharisee to challenge him, a friend who just wanted to hang out more. Jesus knew these things would take him away from his relationship, and so he, he, he removed himself from these distractions, and he sought isolated places, and, and there he prayed. I think, I think you and I need to do the same. And so I'd, I'd encourage you, as you sit down to pray this week, you know, we've asked you to identify the big distractions, things that are going through your minds when you're, when you're praying, when you're focusing on God. We, we've talked about that over the last couple weeks, but this week... Notice the things in your space. When you sit down to pray, what is it that's going off? What is it that's taking your attention away from God? Find those two or three things and and choose to remove them or remove yourself from that space. So Jesus made time for God. Jesus removed himself from distractions. And third, when Jesus prayed, he sought God's presence above all else. Now, I'm sure Jesus made requests of God. Here in, in Luke chapter 22 that we read, Jesus was crying out to God and asking that this cup of suffering be removed from him. And the rest of the Gospel of Luke doesn't necessarily tell us what Jesus was praying about. It just says that Jesus went away and, uh, and prayed. And so perhaps this is a bit of speculation, but I think, I think that Jesus had more to talk to God about than just his list of requests. I think that Jesus was not seeking just to get things from God, but that Jesus was seeking God himself in these moments. And I, I think for us, it really should be the same way. Instead of always coming at God and addressing him and then just hitting him with our list of, of needs and wants and concerns, what if we were to seek that relationship instead? Seeking God's presence above everything else. What if in your prayer life, instead of Showing up with that list, you showed up and you prayed a prayer of thanksgiving. Or you just told God about your day. and said, God, what do you think about this? Give me your perspective. Or you showed up and, and you told God what you appreciate about him, what you're thankful for, about his presence in your life, about what Jesus has done for you. What if you were to treat prayer differently than this emergency service line, than this request what if you were to treat God differently than just a giant vending machine in the sky? You know, we do this in our other relationships. How, how absurd would it be for me to show up and turn up in Battle Creek for International Jeff Day and just talk to my friend Jeff in only questions? Hi, Jeff. Can you let me in your house, Jeff? Can I sit on your couch, Jeff? Can you make me some pancakes, Jeff? 
Can you, uh, can, can I have that maple syrup, Jeff? Uh, okay, can we now drive to the city limits, Jeff? Can we take a picture of this sign, Jeff? Like, that's absurd. We, we talk and we communicate in more than just questions, right? But sometimes that's all we do for God. Sometimes all we do is just hit God with all of our questions and concerns. What if you were to seek God himself above everything else? What if you treated prayer as this two-way radio rather than a one-way broadcast? What if you used it to build your relationship instead of trying to get things? Making time for prayer, removing yourself from distractions, seeking God's presence above everything else. I, I believe that making these three small changes can really benefit you, can really help you make that fresh start in your faith this year as you move closer to God and away from the things of this world. Now, as we get ready to move into what's next, have you ever had this happen? You go out on a date in a very, very loud restaurant, and you try to talk to your date, and they try to talk to you, but you can't hear them, and no communication happens. Or maybe you try to go have a a heart-to-heart in a very public place, and it's awkward because you're worried about what everybody else is overhearing. Communication is fundamentally about relationship, but if no communication happens, if you're distracted, if things are taking your attention away from that other person, then the relationship is not enhanced. It's the same way with God. And so as we head into what's next this morning, I'd encourage you. Consider the ways in which you've been praying. Consider where you've been praying. Consider when you've been praying. What may you need to change? Because prayer is about relationship. And now, would you pray with me? Father God, we come to you as your people and we are so thankful for the opportunity that we have to approach you. God, you give us your grace and you bless us and allow us to come before you with our concerns and our requests, but also God, just you allow us to to communicate with you and that's mind-blowing because you're the creator and we're the created. You're so far above us that hard for us to comprehend. So God, we're thankful. We're thankful for Jesus, for his story, for his example. We're thankful for your scriptures that that just tell us your story. God, we're thankful for this church and that it's a place where we can come and be encouraged and grow in our relationship with you. We're thankful for salvation, for our journey. And so God, as we go on into what's next, we are your people. And we're thankful for your Holy Spirit in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. At this point in our service, we choose to respond to God and worship. And we worship in a few different ways here. We worship by giving back in just a few minutes. We worship as we sing songs and tell God how awesome he is and what we're thankful for. And we worship as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. This is this practice that goes back generations, goes back 2,000 years reminds us of what Jesus has done. Jesus himself says, do this to remember me. We talked about this last week. And so, as we sing, we invite you to come to one of the tables around the room. Come with your family, come with your friends, someone you know, and and take that bread that reminds us that Jesus' body was broken for us. Take that juice that reminds us that his his blood was spilled for you and me so that we can be right with God. And now, church, will you stand and join us in worship?